0: Padres catcher Ethan Salas is 17 years old in high A. And oh yeah, the number six prospect in all of baseball. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And I want this to be your show. If you have ideas, questions for our Monday mailbag, lots of ways to send them to us. Best ones, probably our subtext. Links in the episode description, links in the show notes. Also, the only way to get exclusive access to our player rankings, we're ranking all 30 farm systems, we're then going to rank guys by position, top 100 prospects, all of that, again, available via subtext. Ethan Salas of the San Diego Padres was signed this January as an international free agent and is in high A, and he just turned 17 years old. It, it Feels like it deserves a little bit of a deeper dive. So when you look at what he did, he skipped the Dominican Summer League and he skipped rookie ball, right? So he signs for $5.6 million. They bring him to spring training. He gets pretty good exposure in spring training. He catches Joe Musgrove. He catches you Darvish. He goes out and hits off of big leaguers on backfields. They keep him in extended spring for a while. And then they send him to low A. And so his age 17 year, but still 16 years old, he goes to low A Lake Elsinore. And he holds his own 48 games for Ethan Salas in low A, single A Lake Elsinore. 267, 350, 487. Nine home runs, 22 extra base hits. 24 walks to 57 strikeouts, and 5 for 7 on stolen bases. It is not completely unprecedented for a player this young to be in full season ball, but it's rather surprising. So, he comes, he was born in Kissimmee, he's the younger brother of Jose Salas of the Marlins, and somehow is better than his older brother? But it's the, the common assumption is he's probably the best pure hitter amongst not only the international free agents, but probably one of the better pure hitters in the minors. Lefty swing, really quick into the zone, very good at manipulating the barrel to have coverage of the full strike zone. And because his approach is so advanced, he, he has good pitch recognition, he has good swing decisions, he has good plate coverage. That he gets he he optimizes the most of his contact. Now, he doesn't have the ridiculous raw power that we've seen from other international free agents or we've seen from other players, but I mean, he hit for his slugging was 487 in Lake Elsinore, and he obviously has the ability as he physically matures and gets older to put on more. He's listed at 6'2 185. I have not seen him in person, so I cannot tell you whether or not that is correct. But he's 17 years old. He turned 17 on June 1st. He has time to do more physical maturity. And you have a hitter that, from the hit tool perspective, is rather advanced. From the power tool perspective, has everything set up to be successful once you just increase the raw power that he has. Now, I've mentioned a lot on this show about how catchers take a long time to develop, especially prep catchers, and this is an international catcher. He is he's very athletic and a lot of the scouting reports have the caveat of for his age, his blocking, his receiving, his throwing mechanics are all good. Uh, The belief is that as he naturally gets a bit stronger, his arm will get a bit stronger. And so he'll probably end up a plus arm as he naturally gets strong. He does have pop times under two seconds, under 1.9 seconds in games because his transfer is very good and his release is very quick. It's a shorter arm action to get the ball out, but He's not, it, it's important to remember, as good as he is, he still isn't a finished product. So he was in the California League, youngest player there. We we commonly mention age to level, right? 17 years old, he was four and a half years younger than the average player in the California League. But he did, despite being the youngest player, he did lead it with a 121 WRC+. plus. Was actually... The player of the month for July. He had a 366 average in July. And so they promoted him to high A. He is still a teenager. We have to remember that. And he is still a prep teenager catcher. And so, like, he had 10 pass balls and 22 starts as a catcher because he's still working on a lot of that. But he is very advanced for his age. I mentioned that this is not. Entirely unprecedented, but it's been a long time since we've seen something like this. Kind of going back, uh, 2013, Julio Urias pitched at age 16 for Low A Great Lakes. Uh, now, if you uh, pitchers, I feel are a little bit different from position players. If you switch to position players, you have a couple instances where guys had individual. Single games like Wilmer Flores, his age sixteen season, but after his birthday, where he turned seventeen, played one game with Low A Savannah in two thousand eight. The Savannah Sand Nats, Adrian Beltré, same thing. He briefly appeared for Low A Savannah in nineteen ninety six. The last time that you saw a sixteen year old position player have extended run in full-season baseball was 1993 Marlins prospect Edgar Renteria. There's a throwback for you. And apparently, at the time, they didn't know he was 16. His birth certificate was altered before it was given to the Marlins. So he was actually 15 when he signed, not 16. So they probably thought they were sending a 17-year-old to full-season ball. And in reality, they sent a 16-year-old to full-season ball. And Baseball America points out in a piece that they did about Salas that Renteria did play 45 games in rookie ball before he went to, to low A. Salas went directly from being signed to spring training to low A. This is not something that we've necessarily seen a ton of. As of time of recording, he has played in one game for high A Fort Wayne. He went one for five, struck out, scored a run, and it's absolutely wild to me. The idea that we have a baseball player born in 2006 in full season baseball makes me feel a little bit old. Keith Law called him a potential superstar in the making or was looking at a future superstar. There's a belief that by the time he turns 19, he's going to be in the bigs. Again, not completely unprecedented. We've seen some of the best international free agents do that. Uh, Andrew Jones debuted as a 19-year-old for the Braves. Juan Soto was pretty young when he got up. That's a little more common there than you get from something like a prep player. You don't get a lot of prep players who make the bigs at age 19 but either way it is absolutely wild the belief and I think it was Keith Law that said this had him as a high contact high average hitter with who would be a plus defender and could at least hold his own from a power perspective and the thought of that in the bigs in a year and a half I think is a bit wild to me. I'm assuming you'd see end of the season 2024, cup of coffee, do a 2025 rookie of the year race. I don't know how effective a rookie catcher, or how effective a catcher is going to be in a rookie of the year race. We saw Adley Rutschman give it a shot. No guarantees it'll work, but either way, I am here for it. I am excited to see it. In just a minute, we're going to answer a question about Uh, Where some of the most recent MLB draftees are assigned to start their careers, we'll do that next right here unlocked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Sleeper. The idea behind Sleeper is you go out and you pick the players that you think are going to perform in tonight's games. You choose two or more players you like, You pick more or less on their stat categories, home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. If you get your picks right, you could win big. But what is unique about Sleeper is dynamic payouts are now live. Each player projection has a multiplier attached to it as opposed to a preset multiplier based on how many guys you have entered in this contest. The idea here is you can get better returns for get, for going out and choosing guys who have worse odds of doing whatever stat you have selected. The idea here is if you're using a different app, it doesn't matter how likely this guy is to beat the projection, you have the exact same return, whether or not he's super likely or not at all likely. On Sleeper, you can get higher payouts Than the other apps will give you on less picks. So use promo code locked on, you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. But they're currently operational in over 30 states. So remember, use promo code locked on, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Check out Sleeper today. Okay, so we were asked recently about the process to getting some of these draft picks. Into the minor leagues and how it works. And on the show, we had talked about it's like any other job. You go to a headquarters, in this case, it's where your spring training complex is, and you have orientation, you have HR meetings, you talk about payroll, you have all of your required learnings you have to do about sexual harassment and all of that stuff. But eventually, when you're a baseball player, you get to play baseball games. And looking at the first round those guys are split up now into two different groups Uh, it's not exact but for the most part you have your college players who went spent some time in rookie ball and are now in a full season affiliate and then you have your prep players who are in rookie ball still and will probably stay there for the rest of the year looking at Look at some of the top of the draft here is a really good example. You've got four outfielders in your first five picks. Dylan Cruz, number two out of LSU to the Nationals. Wyatt Langford, number four out of Florida to the Texas Rangers. Both of those guys spent some time in rookie ball, and they are at a full season affiliate. Dylan Cruz is in single A Fredericksburg. He went uh, five for 20 with, he has two home runs, Five RBIs at the of time of recording, one walk, four strikeouts, and one for two on stolen bases. He both has a four-hit game and he has a grand slam. So wild. And then Wyatt Langford is in high a hickory with the you go. high a hickory with the Rangers. Just hit his first home run. In his three games, he's five of thirteen with a home run, three doubles. So four of his five hits are for extra bases. Four RBIs, one walk to three strikeouts. That's the typical pattern you'll see for a college hitter, a college position player, is they'll spend a little bit of time at the complex level to make sure that they're good to go, and then they'll be in a full season affiliate. Whereas your prep guys, most of them will stay at the complex for the rest of this year or wait until the towards the end of this season to get into a full-season affiliate. So Max Clark, number three to the Tigers, he has played in three games in the complex. Four for 12, which impressively, all four of his hits are extra base hits. Two doubles, a triple, and a home run. One walked, four strikeouts. 0 for 1 on stolen bases. He's got five RBIs. you love that. And then Walker Jenkins, four games at the complex level. Seven to 16, a home run, and two doubles a walk to two strikeouts, and three or four on stolen bases. One of those two, I can't remember who it is, one of those two faced off against Paul Skeens on Thursday morning in Skeens' first out, and we'll get to him in in the third segment. But that's the kind of thing that you'll do as a prep hitter, is you'll be at the complex for a while. And going through the first round, just about everybody, not everybody, but just about everybody is already assigned. Uh, catcher Blake Mitchell, picked number eight by the Kansas City Royals, the prep catcher out of the state of Texas. He is at the complex level. Six games in, he's four of 15 with a double, seven walks to six strikeouts. By comparison, Jacob Wil- Wilson of the Oakland A's, the shortstop out of Grand Canyon, he has six games in high A. Four of 18, two doubles, two walks, four strikeouts. I think that's almost the same number of strikeouts he had in his entire college season this year. As you go down the list, a lot of the guys follow that pattern. Tommy Troy out of Stanford, number 12 to the Diamondbacks, seven games in high A, five of 27, a double, a home run, three walks, seven strikeouts, one for one on stolen bases. Right behind him, Matt Shaw out of Maryland to the Cubs at pick number 13, lucky number 13. Also in high A, six games, seven to 24, a double and a triple, no home run yet. Two walks to four strikeouts, one for one on stolen bases. By the way, don't be worried about any of these stat lines at all, because everything is so weird for these guys, right? They had their college seasons. Some of these guys had their prep seasons. They didn't play competitively for a while. Then they got drafted and then they had to pick up and move. It's a whole mental thing. And these are incredibly small samples. Don't, If if somebody's having a fantastic year or a terrible year, don't even necessarily worry about it. The sample size is so small, it does not even matter. But we're still going to talk about it because it's fun. Kyle Teal, the catcher that went to Boston at 14, they were lucky that they got the best catcher on the board because the Royals went prep catcher early, which was a weird choice. Kyle Teal was just promoted to high a he had a uh, he went three for five with a run and two RBI he struck out once in his first game but he was just promoted to high a Jacob Gonzalez to the White Sox at 15. seven games he's had about a week now in single a six to 30 double two walks to four strikeouts oftentimes the decision to send your college guy to either a ball or high a is more geography than anything else if you're Let's say your high A is Lansing, the Lansing lug nuts, and your single A is a lot closer to your complex. It may be logistically easier to just send them to single A before you ship them up to Michigan or whatever it might be. But going through, Enrique Bradfield of the Orioles has exactly one game. He's in single A. The most Enrique Bradfield stat line of all time. 0 for 3, two walks, a stolen base, and a run. Didn't get a hit, but. Walked twice, stole a base, scored a run. That's the most Enrique Bradfield stat line you're ever going to see. And then a lot of these prep guys, like I said, they're still in complex. Bryce Eldridge, the two-way player that went 16th to the Giants. Seven games at the complex, 5-19, two home runs, six walks, five strikeouts. Just about the entire first round, with the exception of a couple pitchers and shortstop George Lombard Jr. of the Yankees at pick 26. All the rest of those guys are assigned to affiliates. You know, whether it's complex or it's single A or high A. Um, So nothing really stands out from that first round as far as amazing performances from the hitters. There is a guy, though, second rounder Mike Bev. For the Milwaukee Brewers, I'm probably saying his last name wrong. I usually do. But 34 at-bats in high A. 500, 561, 1029. He's got five home runs in his 34 at bats, which is wild. Because the college story was like, "Hey, his average exit velo in college was like 87.5. We don't think he's gonna have big league power." And he's already posted six balls with exit velos over 100, and four with exit velos over 105. You never really know what's going to happen. We're going to overreact to that small sample size, and we're going to throw him into our first-year player drafts in Dynasty. I specifically didn't talk about the pitchers in the first round, and there's a reason for that, and I'll tell you next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back into Locked in MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. Talking about 2023 draftees who have been assigned and where they're playing. And we held the pitchers aside from this, other than the brief mention of Paul Skeens. And the reason is, the timing of the draft being where it is in July makes it so much harder to get these pitchers active and in competitive games that matter. We did a whole show that had a whole segment that talked about fixing the draft and it was more of a prestige of the draft standpoint. This topic was in there, but more about changing the timing of the draft for other reasons. And if you want to hear that, uh, it's the July 18th episode. If you're on video, it's going to be up in the corner right here for you to click on and go watch that. But for baseball reasons, the reason having the draft so late in the summer like you do, what makes it tough is the layoff between these guys having their competitive seasons and when you actually can get them into your organizations. And so a lot of these pitchers, Chase Dollander, drafted ninth overall by the Colorado Rockies, assigned to complex league. I have not seen any stats where he has actually pitched in a competitive game. Baseball reference didn't have anything for him. If they're out there, it's just, tell Baseball Reference, they didn't have it. Rhett Lauder the Cincinnati Reds, number seven overall. Pitched in the College World Series, so his season went late into June. He is, not only does he not have stats in games, he is not assigned to an affiliate, as I've been told by people with Cincinnati. Uh, He is not assigned to an affiliate as of now. And it's so hard to get pitchers ramped back up to have realistic and meaningful sample sizes in the rest of the year on their draft years. You can get them up. You can get them in games. Look at Paul Skeens. He pitched for the first time on Thursday, the day that I'm recording this, for Pittsburgh at the complex level. Now, he pitched one inning. He threw, I believe it was 11 pitches. Ten of them were fastballs. Eight strikes, three balls. He got, I think it was a ground out, a pop out, and a strikeout. But the point is, because these guys have this longer layoff, it's harder to get them up and get meaningful sample sizes for your pitchers. Unless it's somebody who either their season finished early enough where they were able to intentionally and deliberately throw bullpens and in essence keep themselves on an active throwing program, keep themselves hot so that they could pitch for their new team. Or, you have somebody who's a complete freak of nature like Paul Skeens and could probably just do this year-round without ever stopping because he's a machine that came from the future to strike guys out. Uh, There are a couple players that did stay up and stay active a bit and have been able to, despite having a long college season, I uh, have been able to pitch a bit this year. Hurston Waldrop for the Atlanta Braves uh, came out of Florida, picked number 24. Obviously, they faced off against LSU in the College World Series championship round. And apparently, he kept up a standard throwing program. He hasn't really stopped throwing since the college season began. So he was able to get a three-inning start in single A, the Augusta Green Jackets which, yes, is a Masters reference. If you were curious, Augusta Jort, like, yes. But, so he pitched three innings. He gave up three hits, two runs. One of them was earned. Welcome to single-A baseball, folks. One walk with eight strikeouts. The Braves saw enough. They've already promoted him to high-A Rome. He'll be having, I believe he's lined up to start sometime Maybe, if not on Friday, then on Saturday or Sunday. Sometime this upcoming weekend, he's scheduled to have his second start. And some of the prep pitchers from this draft, Noble Meyer of the Marlins that went at 10 overall, uh, he is in the complex. He threw one and two-thirds innings, two hits, two runs, one walk, two strikeouts. He's thrown a little bit as well. But for the most part, your pitchers have not had a chance to throw because by the time you build them up, unless you're planning on sending them to the Arizona fall league, you don't have the time to build them up and get meaningful samples out of them. You can get three starts. Maybe you can get three, four, depending on how quickly you ramp them up, you can get three or four starts before the season's over. And then they have an off season throwing program. They're probably working on stuff. It's, I'm not saying it's completely useless to do it. You do get good info by putting these guys in a competitive environment and getting them in front of all of your pitching lab equipment, assuming assuming your team has that. There is something to be said for getting them in that environment, doing the markerless biomechanical assessment while they're in a competitive environment and all that kind of stuff. But there is the question, and some organizations lean towards it's a lot of work and potential injury risk to get a guy ramped up to throw for a month and a half just to shut him back down again for the offseason. So we're not even going to worry about it. We'll just keep him at the complex. We'll have him do bullpens. We'll have him do live, live BP. We'll have him do side sessions. We'll We'll start working on the throwing program stuff now and the changes we want him to make. And we'll plan on unleashing him next year for a standard looking season. If you move the draft forward, you can get past a lot of those issues and make it a lot simpler as far as the season, what the timeline looks like, what the development opportunities are for these pitchers. If you move the draft to late June, either right there near the end or during the College World Series or right after the College World Series, where college pitchers, especially if they're in Omaha already pitching, could theoretically just keep on going. They could just extend their seasons out a bit more. And then I would, if I am the Cincinnati Reds and I have Rhett Louder, and I get Rhett Louder the week after the College World Series is over. He's he threw 10 days ago. I would rather go ahead and have him start throwing now, get some stuff out of him, and then choose to shut him down early versus getting him in late July asking him to ramp up his throwing to get back into a competitive uh, mindset of throwing and then shut him back down because the injury is going to happen during the ramp up, right? Or the injury is going to happen during the competitive environment because the ramp up wasn't thorough enough and that's where he's going to get hurt. So move the draft forward, to the right there around the end of the College World Series. If it's a guy, let's say that he doesn't pitch after regionals. Okay, great. You had two, two and a half weeks off. Now we're back into the season. You're probably in better shape when it comes for scouting visits anyway. Teams bring you in for workouts. You're probably in, in competitive shape anyway. Your, your workouts probably go a little bit better. And now you're ready to go. When we get you, we can have you pitch some, and then we can just shut you down early if we want to. Fantastic week this week. Remember, if you have questions for the mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us. We have a Discord. Tons of different options. The best way by far is our subtext. Links in the episode description. Links in the show notes. Those folks not only get first priority in the mailbags and the show ideas, they also have exclusive access to our player rankings, uh, the direct line to me for all their questions, all that kind of stuff. Until next time, enjoy the games this weekend, and remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.